Steps in the right direction for the Virginia Cavaliers. Look, it was a home game last night. They've won all three of their ACC games at home. They have struggled on the road in ACC play, dropping all three of their ACC road games as part of the much maligned road losing streak that they are under right now. And they'll get a chance to test that again Saturday at Georgia Tech, thanks to the ACC scheduling quirk where they don't have a home Saturday game until the 17th of February against North Carolina, excuse me, against Wake Forest, Carolina the 24th. But for Virginia, that was a step in the right direction. They showed they could be physical when they needed to. They got a big boost from two new additions to the lineup. One is actually seen some time in Jordan Minor, who is not the biggest stature-wise. He's 6'9", being generous, probably more like 6'8". But he's got the grown man strength to play physical down low, and that was something that Mike Young alluded to about how it set the tone for the Virginia Cavaliers when... Mike Young spoke in the postgame show that you heard on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app and VTR in Southside 106.3. For a team UVA, and this has taken nothing away from the Cavaliers, that is not very physical up front. Uh, they were more physical than our team, and that uh, that's that's hard to that's hard to imagine. But uh, but but that's the way it was. It was discouraging for Mike Young. How a team that, I think, if anything, they lack the size down low. Jordan Miner is that guy, but he's not all that big, as we mentioned a moment ago. Ryan Dunn's taller and has a longer wingspan, but his game is better suited for him moving around. Yet, Virginia played more physical, and it was Jordan Miner who set the tone. And as Mike Young alluded to from Virginia Tech on the Virginia Tech Radio Network, as you hear every game on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app and VTR in Southside 106.3. But Virginia Tech, they were out-physicaled, as the new word has often been used in the world of sports or in the lexicon. But Jordan Miner set the tone for Virginia being more physical and setting the tempo in the post. Outplayed, out, outplayed our front line. I thought yeah. Melijah gave us something. I had to go with Robbie, just another uh, floor stretcher. Um, I thought Robbie played another good ball game, helped our uh, helped our team. Uh, we didn't have our best stuff on the front line, and that um, you know that's disappointing. Good players, and uh, didn't uh, you know just didn't uh, have uh, their their best game. No question, thirty six points in the paint for a Virginia team that's been well documented struggles to create offensively around the rim and get production there as well. And Jordan Miner was a good chunk of that. He and Reese Speakman tag team for 32 total points, 16 apiece. About half of what Virginia's offensive output was came from those two. But you saw other guys. When the threes weren't falling for Isaac McNeely, he would get creative off the dribble. Ryan Dunn chipped in as well with six points. And we mentioned Dante Harris, who didn't start but facilitated quite a bit last night. All of those were key contributors for Virginia, and it allowed this team to showcase the fact that they had improved offensively. But when you don't have the size down low like Virginia clearly lacks, and when it's an issue, it clearly has been for Virginia, as we've documented, you have to be willing to do a lot of the other things very well. And one of those is, if you're Tony Bennett taking it upon yourself to understand that you can improve your lineup And some of that's by happenstance when Dante Harris, the Georgetown transfer at point guard, 
came back from injury and kind of spelled some of that burden for Reese Beekman. But the other is Jordan Minor, and Tony Bennett alluded to it himself after the game that those two had as much of an impact as anything on Virginia having a different look that they could present to Virginia Tech, which has been lacking for most of the ACC. It was noticeable to have, well, Jordan's minor's physicality, in addition to him, and then, you know, the athleticism of Dante to to defend the ball at times or beat some screens and then touch the paint. And so that, that was, you know, a long time coming. You know, we were patient, and he, he worked hard in his rehab. He did. Jordan Minor doing a lot for Virginia in terms of post-play. Dante Harris working hard in his rehab and what they did to combine the efforts for Virginia. But there's a great article up at jerryratcliffe.com, and we'll discuss this, I'm sure, with him when Jerry joins us Monday in the fast lane. But the evolution of Jordan Minor and now Virginia has been willing to utilize that because Minor was ultimately able to body up, defend Lynn Kidd, and really nullify what Virginia Tech was able to do. We go back to that stat of 36 points in the paint for Virginia compared to 20 for Virginia Tech. I mean, that shouldn't happen to Virginia Tech. They've got Lynn Kidd. Robbie Barron is expected to give them more. Melijah Boti played 20 minutes last night, but he was basically non-existent. Only two points on one of three shooting. I mean, there really wasn't a ton that was there. And a lot of that's what Virginia got out of Jordan Minor. And a player that, as Tony Bennett mentioned, and even Mike Young, there's a level of physicality. You're looking at a guy that's, you know, has played multiple years of college basketball. He's got, as the old saying grows, grown man strength. And we needed some real legitimate um, man strength down there, and that he's got that. Minor with the man strength, so, so to speak. I mean, as much as there's a physicality that's been taken out of the game now in basketball, and some of it makes it more aesthetically appealing. It's space in place. Uh, it's what you can do creating and moving around and doing that. And Virginia did that well and more on that in a moment. A lot of it has also been bringing in that to the Virginia Cavaliers. And that is something that's been so key for them. And Jordan Minor did this, but it comes from the fact that he stayed bought in. He kept working as hard as you could expect. And as Tony Bennett alluded to, he grew in terms of his productivity, even when he was not playing and stayed bought in. When we played NC State and we were getting beat badly at the end, I put him in. I don't know if it was six minutes, five minutes, but I, I put him in at the end. And all those possessions matter. I evaluate and I said, don't waste these opportunities. And I thought he gave us a lift, though we were down 18, 20, 25, whatever it was. And he had been practicing better you know he, he it's a big adjustment came from a really well coached place but he played four years of zone and so his ability to kind of anticipate move his feet think a little quicker I saw that and he just kept working kept working I mean notice the last phrase but don't grow weary use this as an opportunity this is where I mean a win against Virginia Tech only does so much the Hokies are two and four in the ACC 10 and seven overall and while the metrics like Virginia Tech you know, realistically from the eye test, they got a lot of work still ahead of them if they want to be considered an NCAA tournament team. It sure doesn't look like they are that. Virginia rebounding enough to at least say they're not done as being part of that conversation. But there's a bigger picture as well. How much have we heard Tony Bennett mention that throughout all the struggles the Virginia Cavaliers have faced this year, could they continue to work on ways to get better? Could they continue to find ways 
to stay bought in, to stay invested, and do what it would take to get a win. And again, let's not overblow this victory for Virginia because they are a 12-5 and team. They have yet to win on the road, including an ACC play. The only neutral side win they had was against not-so-great West Virginia. But when you see signs of progress as a coaching staff and you're trying to keep a team bought in that is playing hard, and you know this kind of goes similarly to the Liberty Flames, who are 0-3 in Conference USA play and aim to snap that skid tonight against Florida Atlantic over at uh, the Liberty Arena, or as we like to call it. Yo, home, the Bel Air! That's something that you have a difficult time doing. And if you're a coaching staff, it's knowing when you need to give your guys a kick in the butt for extra motivation. And then sometimes when they just need the encouragement, whether it's a pat on the back or continuing to be encouraged and keep that energy level high. And what Jordan Miner did has showcased something that Tony Bennett, to his ever-loving credit, was willing to bring up last night when speaking after the win, and yes, it's easier to say this after a win, but it's the idea of chasing progress even when you're struggling as a team. When you're struggling, you're just chasing, um, you know, trying to be competitive first and chasing quality. And and there was more quality uh, tonight than we've had in a while. So that that's the important thing. And then to to have it validated with you know a win is important. Validated with a win, you know, it's almost like that's the byproduct of putting in all the work. And, you know, I'm sure you can allude to this, Ty, when you're a player. Sometimes the coaching staff gets so fixated on telling you to focus on the process that it's hard to realize that the score will take care of itself. But, I mean, there's a human element to this in whatever competition it is. You've played football uh, and basketball. Obviously, I've done tennis and running. But you put all that hard work in. You do want times where you can at least see it come to fruition on the scoreboard and go, All the hard work, in some cases the yelling, but in a lot of cases just the pain and the struggles of practicing and trying to get it right, there's some level of motivation that comes from seeing success and realizing, yes, there's a carrot at the end of this. Just a mental thing. I mean, it's really a mental thing you go through, like all the blood and sweat and tears you go through. I mean, like you said, coaches yelling at you, everyday practice, um, workouts, all that stuff, then what, like, add classes to it, but it's just like a mental mind. You just got to prepare your body just to get ready for the game as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, Ty, and just the the reality that there is a human element to putting this in play if you're a team like Virginia that has struggled, particularly on the road, where you get a reprieve going home, but not really because it's Virginia Tech and it's a rivalry matchup. But you at least get that, and you see that, okay, if we do all these things right, if we are more physical than the opposing team. If we are able to get a spark of athleticism, and don't underestimate that as well from Dante Harris and the value of bringing that. More on that around 5.20 today here in the fast lane after the fast five at five-ish. But for Virginia, you get that element of seeing all of those things and what it does. And yes, You still stay bought in defensively. You put forth that effort and the slow level of motivation and improvement are reasons why we're sitting here today and saying Virginia wasn't pretty. They had a double-digit lead at chunks, including 13 in the early portion of the second half. But even with about four minutes to go, it was still a 10-11 point game. And yet Virginia Tech didn't go away. All of that effort still managed to pay off in a victory for Virginia where you can go, okay, if we do things right, there's tangible results, and now 
I mean, we're looking at this, obviously, from a different angle of players and coaches, but they go to Georgia Tech this weekend. That is a Georgia Tech team that, as we've mentioned, can be dangerous in some spots, but in other cases, this is a Georgia Tech team that clearly, meh, leaves something to be desired in terms of being a team that is flirting with being a 500 team overall and still quite a bit of work left on their resume. Speaking of things that you want on your resume, you don't want any accidents on your resume. That might hurt you in the insurance world. Heck, if you have insurance, but the person that is at fault does not have insurance, that could be a hassle. It's why you need the right auto insurance policy, not necessarily calling a 1-800 number and getting the cheapest, but getting the right one like Gardner Insurance Solutions can do for you. They will shop for the best policy to make sure you're covered for all the potential scenarios that you can't really foresee. Gardner Insurance Solutions, stop by, let them shop around and get you the best policy like they did for me. Gardner Insurance Solutions, Old Forest Road in Lynchburg. Now, other topics to address, including what else happened in the ACC last night. Here to start things off in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. I don't pretend to be an expert when it comes to basketball sports betting, but we did have a fairly decent night last night. Okay, we were kind of wrong on the Virginia Tech, Virginia prognostication for Robbie, who weighed in at Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we encourage you to uh, do that as well. Please understand we said we wouldn't play that if, uh, you know, if it were us, but hey, different people have ways they can throw their coins around, uh, friendly bets or otherwise. But Florida State against Miami, we cautioned that this is a Miami team that six and a half felt a little bit too rich. Well, they are down by 10 and a half and they lose 84 to 75. I mean, there's no way to slice it. I get Miami as a team that has Nigel Pack and Matthew Cleveland, the transfer ironically from Florida State. And they have him invested well, or in the immortal words of Kenny Powers, given many dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Over to good basketball players. But they're a team that right now, I also would be leery of putting them into the NCAA tournament. Because as bad as Virginia's losses have been on the road, especially margin-wise, the only non-JPJ loss where you go, oh, that's not good, is the loss at Notre Dame. Wake Forest and NC State are tournament-caliber teams. Memphis is going to, in all likelihood, make it out of the not-so-strong AAC. In Wisconsin, they're a top-15 caliber team from the Big Ten. So those are the other losses for Virginia. Miami now, they've lost to Florida State. And yes, this is a Knowles team that we mentioned they have surged lately. The record is a bit of a mirage, not starting off well in non-conference play, but they've really started to find their groove. Virginia Tech can attest to that. Virginia will get them coming up in another couple of weeks. But they found their groove, whereas Miami, it feels like they're the team going in the opposite direction now. On back-to-back weeknight games, last weeknight, a week ago, it was the loss to Louisville. Then last night, it was the loss to Florida State at home. I get it's a rivalry game, but from a metrics point, that's not very good. Meanwhile, North Carolina and Louisville, um, hate to toot our own horn too much, but this game kind of unfolded the exact way we thought it would. Wasn't as big of a margin at half. It was 17 as opposed to 20-something. But North Carolina had a 17-point lead, and it just felt like they were on cruise control in the second half. Like, they didn't exert any more energy than they actually had to, and I get it. They'd come off a really challenging stretch of games. Yes, Syracuse was a dominant victory recently, but 
Once again, they're 14 and three. They're a top five team in the nation, currently number four, but they were in control of that game the entire way. 86 to 70 did not cover the spread, but don't let that fool you. This game was never an in-doubt game when it comes to what really was going to happen last night, which was a North Carolina win that was rather convincing despite the final margin. Number four. Speaking of the Florida State Seminoles and the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC, they have accused Florida State of breach of contract by filing to get out of the grant of rights and use that as a stepping stone to leave the Atlantic Coast Confidence, Atlantic Coast Conference. I don't know if there's much confidence that either party has in each other. Um, really, this is just the latest as a procedural jockeying, if you will, between Florida State and the ACC uh, as the school challenges to get out of the grant of rights. Expect a lot more of these type of updates where each squad is going to challenge the other, but don't expect much to actually come from any of those challenges. Speaking of challenges, by the way. Number three. The NFL is challenging the landscape of college football. Let this marinate for just a second. The NFL, they are exploring an acquisition either partially or in full of ESPN um, and, and it begs the interesting question, and we've gotten some good feedback on this, but what does this realistically mean going forward? Here are a couple of things. The more in bed you are with the business, whether the NFL flat out owns ESPN, obviously some of the outside the line style investigative journalism on the NFL could be compromised. And that would be unfortunate, but there are other media outlets out there. Granted, they are becoming more few and far between as Sports Illustrated goes the artificial intelligence route. And there have been layoffs at places like The Athletic slash The New York Times, which are now under one entity. But investigative journalism can still take place in certain forms. It's just there will be fewer of them. And so there will be fewer opportunities to cast the NFL in a bad light. But here's another one. And don't outrule this possibility. There was the report from Sports Business Journal earlier this year, or excuse me, earlier this school year, fall of 2023, that the NFL may be working behind the scenes with 50 or so schools in college football on developing some sort of a minor league system. Don't be shocked that the NFL would want to go that route. See, here's the thing. If they buy a stake in ESPN and therefore they can invest in properties like the ACC and the SEC and give them a lot of that money, but allow those properties to operate independently, guess what that means? The liability for workers' comp claims, for dealing with all the hassle of labor disputes between employees, if the players are in fact that, and certainly the conferences and schools, that's somebody else's problem. Soap is the worst, some other you-know-what's problem. So if you're the NFL, you kind of offload that responsibility, but yet you continue to invest in those schools and give them the resources to start training, become your de facto minor league organization, and cultivate young talent in the future. Am I devilish, or does this seem to make more sense than maybe people are letting on? Let us know. Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Ty Tracy 90 on our social media platforms. Number two. Speaking of the NFL, Mike Tomlin saying that the Steelers will have him back as their head coach, as we mentioned yesterday. And doubling down by saying they are going to look outside their organization to hire an offensive coordinator. Let's pause there for just a second. Duh. Considering how bad that offense was, what value is there, Ty, from looking inside the organization when it didn't appear like anybody had real tangible answers to do more than duct tape their way 
to a, yes, 10-win season, but a berth in the playoffs that many people suspected rightfully so was going to be short-lived. I mean, that offense was terrible. Don't get me wrong. Najee Harris did not play did not play great, and I think they was running a lot of vertical routes with George, um, um, George, George, Pickens. George Pickens the whole time. I, I seen it. It was like a number straight verticals most of his touchdowns was. Here's the other thing, though. You brought up George Pickens. There's a lot of talk, and I heard this from on the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks of the NFL Network. So not only are they plugged in, but they're not going to put it out on an NFL-endorsed platform if there's not merit to this. But the report's out there that George Pickens has been fined multiple times in excess of $100,000 over the course of this season. And we saw that he and Deontay Johnson at separate occasions were guilty of not blocking well. Yeah, if I'm Tomlin and the Steelers, bring someone else in to challenge them and to get an idea that if those are not the right guys to have around, offload them much like they did with Chase Claypool or frankly, some of the other baggage that left Pittsburgh and never was quite the same when they weren't under that umbrella. Where, as I know it's player empowerment era, but in some cases... The organization can elevate you and players can benefit from that. Speaking of which, by the way, with the Steelers, there's also competition coming in for Kenny Pickett in the Steelers. Uh, Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I tend to believe there's a good possibility that maybe that competition comes in the form of a guy like Washington quarterback Michael Penix. He's older. He's more ready-made. He's got athleticism, oozes leadership traits, um, or a guy like Kirk Cousins, who may not be the flashiest name, but provides a lot of veteran stability. I mean, do you want to bring in a veteran quarterback or you want to, like, bring a or draft another quarterback? That's the main question for Mike Tomlin because, like, it depends on his contract, too, as well, if he's, when he's coming back next season and after the season, what's going to happen to him? And it depends on who the offensive coordinator is. And, yes, I do believe a guy like Byron Leftwich counts as, quote, outside the organization. And number one on the Fast Five at five-ish. Dallas Cowboys. They are not making a head coaching change, keeping Mike McCarthy Allow social media to go abuzz, and yes, this explains why now we get word that Bill Belichick is meeting again with the Atlanta Falcons this weekend. I would believe that interest is heightened because there is clarity in Dallas taking one suitor off the table. And there is your Fast Five at 5 When we return here in the Fast Lane, we're going to try to link up with Seth Greenberg to get his observations on the Virginia Tech-Virginia basketball game last night and Mike Mayock of NFL Network still to come here in the Fast Lane on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app.